This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming back Bethany Webster to the show. Bethany is an author, international speaker, and transformational coach. She was here on episode number 57 to talk about the mother wound, and I've invited her back due to the demand and questions, DMs, and emails that have flooded my inbox asking for more depth on this topic. Today, Bethany is here to answer some of the questions that I have gathered from my community to dive deeper into what the mother wound is, how it shows up, and how we learn to heal from it. Before getting to my conversation with Bethany, I want to share a couple of reviews that came in from my Managing Mom Rage workshop with Psyched Mommy, Dr. Asherina Reem. The first one reads, this has been life-changing. I have a new frame of mind focusing on my response rather than my child's meltdown. This is a resource that every mom needs. Second, I finally have the answers. This has been cathartic. I'm literally in tears. It's such a relief to hear that I'm not just an angry mom. Thank you. I finally have the answers and tools to make the changes I've hoped for. And lastly, now I know what to do. This has been extremely helpful and has made me realize how disconnected I've been from myself. Thank you for the hands-on strategies. Now I know what to do in the heat of the moment. If you find yourself struggling with mom rage, yelling more than you would like, and struggling with being irritable, it's not too late to catch the playback of the mom rage workshop. Head to happyasamother.co slash mummyrage. That's happyasamother.co slash mummyrage. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Bethany, thank you so much for coming back to join us on the podcast. We had such an amazing response to the mother wound episode that you and I had together. Lots of additional questions came in from the Instagram community, from my mother up community. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. Yeah, it's so great to be here, Erica, with you and your community. And I'm really excited about this Q&A session today so that we can go a little deeper into, you know, how this work is showing up in your own life. And I'm excited to kind of help coach and answer some questions that can give you even more clarity on this really important topic. Yeah. And I would say that the first episode, it was the mother wound episode 57 is sort of a prerequisite to this episode, but not, there's going to be a lot to gain from this episode specifically, but that kind of lays the foundation of what it is we're talking about, what it looks like and how it shows up. And for those who are tuning in kind of fresh and cold to this conversation, uh, maybe we can give a quick kind of summary of what the mother wound is and what it looks like. Yeah, quick review. So the mother wound, as I have defined it, is really a combination of, you know, the fact that we as women have lived for centuries inside of a patriarchal culture. And by that, I mean, like patriarchy in the most broadest sense, like patriarchy as the principle of power over, right? Kind of the principle of domination. And this is something that we have to some degree in all of these facets of our society, right? In education and governments and media, it's just kind of the in the fabric, right? And we're living in a time where we're seeing its most dysfunctional formats. So this is a powerful time for us to become conscious of what the mother wound is. So the patriarchy is really just this backdrop to how the mother wound shows up. And that's why I like to preface my definition with that super broad definition of patriarchy, which our mothers and grandmothers and great grandmothers have all kind of lived through, right? So the mother wound is really how our basic human needs for love, safety, and belonging, which are so primal and which 
really come to bear in the relationship with our moms, right? So it's kind of like how we bond with our mother's own limiting beliefs, with her own sense of shame that she might have internalized or picked up in the culture, and also any trauma that our moms have experienced in her lives. So in a sense, we kind of bond not only with our mother herself, but also with any trauma or inherited um, internalized oppression that she's Mm. um, internalized, right? And for a lot of moms, this is totally unconscious. And in the best of situations, moms are trying to protect their daughters. So they might pass along beliefs like don't rock the boat, don't put, you know, your needs first, put other people first, you know, ways that we need to kind of survive and, and also kind of self-abandon ourselves um, in order to really get love and approval in the culture. And the mother wound has a spectrum, right? So it's on one end of the spectrum, there's moms and daughters who have great relationships. And then the other end of the spectrum, we have more trauma and abuse between mothers and daughters. So all of us kind of fall on this mother wound spectrum somewhere. But the bottom line is it's how we internalize the dynamics with our mothers so that we unconsciously limit and kind of shame ourselves without even realizing it. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what the mother wound is. So this is not really at all about blaming our mothers or making them wrong or being victims of patriarchy or something. It's not about that at all. This is really about healing and liberation and transformation, right? This is really what this is about. It's kind of looking at with a critical eye to our upbringing so that we can break the cycle and that we can disrupt patterns of trauma that we've inherited and kind of create new possibilities for new generations. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that you describe that it is on a spectrum. Like with mm-hmm. most other things we experience in life, whether it's anxiety or depression or, uh, you know, trauma or not, these yeah. kinds of things are often on a spectrum. And when we think mother wound, and especially when I talk with this with clients, they're like, well, it's, I didn't have trauma in my upbringing. Right. And so like, I can't, you know, I should not hold any kind of frustration or resentment or feel like a lack from my mom in any way because she did the best that she could. And I think that that's one thing that we emphasized last time and that we'll emphasize again today. It's not to say that your mother didn't do the best that she could. Yeah, totally. And I think that in a lot of ways, and, and I hope to dive into this patriarchy piece a little bit more because I do think society's fail mothers, some Mm -hmm. more than others. And our mothers may not have been set up for their own success in their own mothering. And in a lot of ways, doing this work helps us to heal our own wounds, but also have compassion for the system in which our mother mothered, if that makes sense. Yeah, beautifully put. Absolutely. And you know, it's so liberating to look at the patriarchal lens because it makes whatever we inherited from our moms that didn't work, you know, we can just not take it as personally, right? And see it more of a product of, you know, our mothers were a product of her own family of origin and the culture, right? And so each generation has some degree of baggage that we're just, we need to work on. And it's so great to live, I think, at this time, because now things like being trauma-informed and conscious parenting are new. There's kind of new compared to the previous generation, right? Right. Um, So also I have an article coming out soon to talk specifically about that, about how sometimes there can be a generational disconnect where as newer moms, we might want to like do some of these new cutting edge things and our moms might not really vibe with that. And that can create a little friction. Um, But I just wanted to circle back quickly to what you said, which is it's very true that we can have actually quite harmonious relationships with our moms, but still get this part of this mother wound is still active inside of us. And I like talking about these subtler aspects so that we can recognize it, right? Because if we can recognize it and have awareness of even the subtle pieces of the puzzle, we have more power to change it and transform Mm -hmm. it. So when you're talking about the spectrum, one of the other things that it pulls me back to from our other chat that we had was, you know, we talked about how we inevitably are going to perpetuate some mother wound in our children, you know? And I know that we get swept up in this perfect mother myth where we want to, you know, sort of almost intensively over-mother and feel the need to be perfect in such a strong way. And I know so many feel the pressure Mm -hmm. and strive to be the perfect mother, even though she is a myth and she's this, like, elusive thing that 
is unrealistic for us to try to attain. But when we look at it on a scale from like the least on the scale that we could possibly be to like traumatic, we can understand that there will be some of this handed down and it's not about perfection, but it's about trying to parent in a way that is protective and conscious. Mm -hmm. Another really interesting point is coming up in my mind right now. We've been having a conversation in our Mother Up group about not parenting out of a place of trauma, though, and not going to an extreme of maybe needing to intensively mother or over-mother because we're living out of a place of trauma, but rather doing our own work so that we can sort of model and heal. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so grateful to you talking about this because it's just, it's so crucial that we become aware of when we're in trauma mode so that we can, you know, pull out. And there's some signs when we're in that mode. And you kind of mentioned one right away, which is any sense of urgency or desperation Mm. is usually a sign that we're in our child. We're in our own traumatized kind of child lens. Like we're triggered. There's something going on. So that's a key sign urgency, desperation, black or white thinking is another big one where it's like polarized thinking, like I'm perfect or I'm nothing, you know, that's another sign. And what happens in those moments? And it's very normal for this to happen. Even for those of us who haven't endured a lot of trauma, when we get triggered, our brains kind of flip into a different mode. And we're looking at the world through the lens of a a child who's afraid. And so Mm -hmm. that's why inner mothering is such a key part of what I teach, because if we can mother that little girl inside of us on a consistent basis, this creates enormous spaciousness in how we show up with our own children, where we can be more emotionally available for kids, because otherwise the child in us and our actual child become in competition. Mm. And there can be an actual friction there. And this is something that I've been trying to unpack and go a little bit deeper into is this idea of how do we know we're parenting from a place of healing in our mother wound and in other, you know, areas of life versus parenting from a place of trauma, because a conversation came up in a previous podcast about the perfect mother myth where our values are impacted by often our past and our upbringing, but if those values are directly tethered to trauma, then we're still living in our trauma. And another thing that I think is sort of a flag of this is if we're doing this based on a vow, like I will never Mm. be like such and such, or I will never do this because mom did this. And these are little, I would say, red flags that we're mothering out of trauma or, you know, being driven by our trauma. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It absolutely does. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So becoming aware of those being able to drop any self-judgment or guilt about it and then pivot towards, you know, it's kind of this process of instead of living in that trauma lens, like seeing the world and the children through that lens. And when we're in a trauma mode, it's very self-absorbing. It's like, we're actually in safety. We're trying to stay safe. I mean, that's what's really going on Yeah, is that the child inside of us is panicked and she's kind of hijacking our system. And so that's a signal that we need to actually work on soothing that child inside. And it's actually really simple to do, but it's more about remembering to do it and then being consistent with it. But my point is really that it's about inner safety. There's just a little little girl inside of us who's like, I'm not safe right now. I have to do something in my environment to feel safe. I have to Mm -hmm. do something. It's like an emergency, like a red button that's getting pushed. Yes. And I think that this can translate into, I need to protect my child and keep my child safe because I wasn't safe. Like, I think that it can be projected into this more like intensive mothering where we so badly want to keep them safe. And that's such a valid desire and a valid need from a mom, you know? But when driven by this really strong sense of urgency, because we in our own body and own nervous system are feeling activated and unsafe, then, you know, it's us trying to regulate ourselves by controlling our environment, as you said, or controlling, you know, our child's environment to regulate our own anxiety versus some of these skills that you teach where we soothe that inner child or we tap into our own you know, self and what's going on to cultivate a sense of safety within our own body, right? Exactly. I love how you summarize that because, yeah, in those moments when we're 
activated like that, it's really about us. We can't actually see our child clearly. We can't see the situation clearly. Right. So we're making decisions that are actually based on the past, not based on what's happening. It's like we're living in it for a moment in the past and we're taking actions and choices that are based on a thing that's not existing, you know? Yes, like previous hurt, previous pain, like tethered to a past memory or event in some way. Yeah, so it's like a project, we're projecting. And all humans do this. There's no like shame in this. It's just kind of how we're built. If we go through trauma, it shapes our brains and our nervous systems and we replicate to resolve. So when we have triggers and we are acting them out, we're doing that to try to resolve something. And so there's a process that it's like a loop that keeps playing. So what we need to do is learn how to disrupt that. Well, number one, be aware of it. Number two, disrupt it earlier and earlier. You know, usually when we start getting conscious of this, it's like, oh, shit already happened, you know, or it's already over. And we realize, oh, in retrospect, that was what was happening. So with practice, though, we can start to see the signs really early and start to turn inward, pivot to the child inside, give her some nurturing, and then we can retain our adult leadership. What I mean by that is we can retain sovereignty over our nervous systems and we can continue making choices from there rather than getting caught in a detour into the inner child's trauma lens. Yeah, and getting swept up into, and our whole nervous system swept up into that memory and, you know, that flashback, depending on how big that trauma was for you. So this is a bit of a of a recap into some of those insights, and I encourage you to go back and listen to our initial interview where we dive into some of the context of the mother wound war and just unpack that. And today we're going to try and do some kind of Q&A questions that have come through from the audience to kind of get into some of the finer details, I guess, and go a little bit deeper into this. So I think we touched on this one already, but like, how did the mother wound originate? And like, has society played a role? And we touched on that a little bit with the patriarchy piece. Any other things to add to like how it originates? Yeah. I mean, I would highly recommend a book. If you want to look at how all of this kind of came together, the best book I can find um, is called The Creation of Patriarchy by Gerda Lerner. It's from the 90s, I believe. But she did a historical perspective on how did patriarchy begin? And, and for patriarchy, as I mentioned earlier, I define it super broadly, just the power principle of power over, because both men and women can have patriarchal tendencies and behaviors. But she kind of tracks it over a historical model. It's fascinating and very liberating to read that this is really um, kind of a cultural era and all eras begin and end. So it's kind of like we're at this place where, and I believe moms are playing a massive role. That's why I have such reverence for moms doing this work because I truly believe that you are at the cutting edge of the world to come and how you mother yourself primarily and then how you mother your children. So Mm -hmm. this is a powerful time to be a mom and to be a woman. And that book really kind of puts into perspective, really appreciate kind of the, you know, really big perspective, the macro level of what we're living into right now. And so that's how I see that, you know, as long as patriarchy is around and women are taught that we're less than, you know, Mm -hmm. we're taught that we're Mm -hmm. less than in a million ways every day. It's reinforced in all these different ways. And we have to bond with that. You know, the mother is the most significant relationship we have and our brains and our bodies and our views all get shaped by how that relationship went for better or worse. You know, there's no blame there. It's just, it's how humanity creates itself, replicates itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so we bond and it's true of any epoch or, you know, cultural time, we bond with the values of the culture and they get transferred into families and then they get transferred, you know, mother to child. Adrian Rich, one of the most incredible feminist poets, I believe it was, yeah, she said, the mother-child relationship is the first relationship violated by patriarchy. Mm. And this is the most important relationship, but it's been denigrated. You know, it's been idealized and denigrated, right? Our culture has a very distorted relationship with mothers and women, right? So, um, It's so true, yeah. Yeah, so what I was just going back to is, yeah, this is the primary relationship. And I think as we heal ourselves as women living now at this particular unprecedented time, we can help fashion a world that works. And I think it has to be centered around attachment, mothers and child. Like, what if a society was built around ideal, secure attachment? What would that look like? You know, 
that so society was built around that optimal environment to support that because when we're securely attached then everything just flows differently we can create mm. a culture that works for everyone not just surviving but thriving so as you can see it's a massive topic and so i would encourage you guys to read more about it again mm. that's the best book i have found on it but it helps to also as i said take away that personal nature right where it feels like oh my gosh there's something wrong with me and that's really the legacy of the mother wound is shame female shame there's something mm. wrong with me there must be something wrong with me because we get these messages you know from our mothers internalized it to some degree but then also from the culture and all the places like schools and churches and things you know reinforce it so yeah. this healing that we each do in our own personal lives the responsibility and the dedication that we take to our own personal healing through doing things like healing the mother wound we actually create the new landscape for a new culture in our minds in our brains in our hearts it all starts inside mm -hmm. so so all families are recycling these old beliefs, these old patterns to some degree until someone is feeling passionate enough and also has the psychological capacity to heal, right? right? And some of our mothers didn't have it, you know, for whatever reason, she didn't have the fortitude or the support or the willingness to do her own inner work, which, I mean, let's be honest, this takes a lot of courage and it's effort, you know, to right. do this kind of inner work, right? So this is powerful stuff we're talking about. And a lot of people in our families might not have had that psychological capacity or willingness to do it. So it's, it's, yeah. we're changing so much right now. Yeah. And I think about motherhood as I'm actually doing a motherhood study certificate because I found out that there's this whole, you know, gender women's studies stream of research on motherhood studies. And it's like blowing my mind. Cool. And it separates out motherhood, the role, like the construct of mother, as in the role, the job, the, you know, the, the labor involved. Like, yeah. Like I think about the job description or like all of the things that are involved with what it means to be a good mom in this day and age right now versus maybe what it meant for my mother. Like the construct of motherhood and what is expected of moms is always changing with each generation. And this, I think, can lend itself even to gaps between us and our own mother because we're mothering in a different climate, a different society, different expectations, different, lots of different things, right? So this construct changes over time. And like you had said, it's often shaped by society, culture, patriarchy. When I think about even from country to country, I entered into an international space being on Instagram. I'm in Canada. And I remember like one of my first, I had like few followers. I was doing like a Q&A in my stories. And we were talking about like, how do you cope with going back after, you know, your, your time with baby maternity leave or whatever? How do you cope with going back? And my response was kind of like, oh my gosh, we can't wait to go back. Like it's been a year at home with the kids. Most moms are like, you know, so excited to get some adult interaction back. And then it was like, well, I got a really swift education in how that is an absolute privilege and very few women that I was interacting with actually had that ability. So even just in the society, in the culture, in the place that we're mothering shapes our mothering experience and what is expected of us as a mother. And the reason I think this is important is because we can question, like step back with some pause and question, where are these expectations of ourself coming from? Have they been handed down from our own mother on how we need to mother? Mm -hmm. Have they been reinforced by society's messaging? You know, you can go and do and be anything, break the glass ceiling. But then as soon as you become a mom, you better stay home and be selfless and martyr yourself, you know. And it just allows us to see the variations and the differences. And that's one of the things I value about your work is that it helps us to break out of some of that, right? Those expectations handed down by our own mothers or or to just sort of reevaluate and tune within with ourself and mother and nurture from a place of healing and values and intrinsically motivated pieces. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you broke that down. And I think one of the roles of mothering for older, like if we think about like teen 
And as we're getting older, like if you think about your childhood when you were like, you went through puberty and then you were like a young woman, I noticed that a lot of friction can happen between adult daughters and their mothers when they're kind of in that young womanhood stage where they're kind of looking for support and like encouragement and celebration. And like, you can go off and fly and do your own thing where a lot of mothers, because of the cultural constraints, are not psychologically equipped to really give the daughter that kind of separation encouragement. Like you get to be your own self. You get to do things your own way. You know, Mm. I'm not going to take offense if you go into new ventures, you know, and do things differently. Like that's the ideal, right? That's what we kind of need psychologically Mm. as we're stepping into our own, getting initiated into our own lives. And we don't have rituals around that in the culture. The culture kind of expects mothers and daughters to kind of stay a bit enmeshed to kind of codependent. And so there's kind of this very subtle discouragement around women stepping into new, doing things in a new way, even inside the mother-daughter relationship. And so we kind of have to do that work ourselves. You know, it takes a lot of work to step away from our, you know, tribe. If you want to think of your family as, you know, people going back in time who did things a certain way, you know, this is how we do it. This is how it's done. Mm -hmm. This is the way things are. But what we really need now are like mother pioneers who are feeling resourced enough and psychologically capable of, you know, what it takes to step into their own path in a big way and model that for other women, mm-hmm. um, which is really hard in this current climate where with the pandemic, many of us are actually kind of experiencing similar things to our mothers in maybe the fifties where we were at home all alone all day with kids, no support, no outlet. So what a conundrum, right? That we actually need to expand beyond, but we're actually constrained in some of the similar ways of the past. Yeah, which is definitely presenting a challenge for a lot of moms right now. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing 6 to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all wanna start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. 
Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. One of the questions that did come in was also around like setting boundaries with our moms. There was a couple of questions in this sort of same area. Maybe we can kind of lump them together. Sure. One was like, can I do this work and be around my mom? And if I need to be around my mom, how do I set those boundaries? Because when we learn about the mother wound and when we're going through this process of healing, it can feel kind of all-consuming at first or it can feel or bring up like yeah. a lot of big emotions of whether it's anger totally. or frustration. So how can we sort of coexist? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's extremely empowering because to navigate it, and I want to give you a reframe around it. it. It's really empowering because you might say why it's really hard and overwhelming because <laughs> um, against the backdrop of your mother's behaviors or whatever that feel like you need to set a boundary with, that is the most powerful place, like powerful landscape to start to claim your power. Because if you can do it with your mother, you can do it anywhere. This is like the hardest place to set boundaries for most people. So if you're feeling ready to start doing this, it's really kind of a celebration because this is the beginning of a new kind of life for you. That's how I see it as a coach looking at the landscape, the broader picture. And to get more local about it, you know, how do you do this? Part of the process is creating a little space. So you need to have, depending upon what your situation is, you need to create some measure of space where you are your own. Maybe you don't share as much with her as you used to. Maybe you see her a little bit less, you know, you need that. And I see that over and over again with women just over the past six years, when they start to create some intentional space, your mother doesn't even have to know about it, right? Right. But it doesn't just, have to be communicated necessarily. It's just an action that you start to take. Mm -hmm. It's an action that you start to take. And, and it might be, it'll be different for everyone, but whatever intentional psychological space you take from your mother. I've seen women do this and they're like, oh my God, I'm seeing things so much differently. Like I'm becoming more aware. I'm having insight. So even that little step of not even telling your mother, but creating a little more space from her, it could be temporary, you know, it's not forever, but it just starts to give you number one, more connection with yourself where you start to just be in your own energy rather than having it kind of influenced by your mother. So you start to feel more of your own strength is what I'm trying to say. Start to feel more mm -hmm. of your own strength. Another thing I want to say is get clear around what it is that you really want boundaries with, with your mother. What is it that you want to set boundaries around and why? Mm -hmm. So a lot of this work around like setting boundaries with moms, it has to do with you first, a lot of pre-work. Like what do you need? Why do you need it? before you even start with the practical pieces, right? Because that's going to generate a lot of strength and resolve inside of you around, you know, this is why I want to have boundaries with her. This is why I need this. And then we can start to think about, okay, what would that look like for you? I hear from women a lot that one of the frustrations they have around boundaries with their mother is they don't feel like they can be their authentic self around their moms. There's this sense that mother would prefer more of an image-based relationship or more a more superficial or there's just a sense that your mother's just not open to hearing or being with, you know, the daughter. And so I like to ask women, you know, a great place to start around boundaries is what would that relationship look like if you mm. could have whatever relationship you want with your mother? What would that look like? See if you can, you know, I would encourage you to journal about that 
what would that look like and feel like? How would it be different than Mm -hmm. what it's like right now? Just kind of best case scenario, start there with, you know, how do you want to feel and be in relation with your mother that would feel like it was supportive to you and authentic with her and that there was a connection happening? What would that look like for you? For some women, it might be like, you know, I talk to my mom every day. I'd rather talk to her once a week or, Mm. you know, I'd rather not talk about certain topics with her, but she wants to keep talking about certain things or my mom's really instructive about my child and I don't really want to, I'm not inviting her feedback, you know? Um, So it can be a range of things that we need to set boundaries with our mom. So I like to start out with saying, well, what do you really want? What would it look like? That's number one. And number two is what is some small step that you can take now to start to move in that direction? And just, just small steps. It really starts with small steps. Unless there's trauma or abuse or something happening, I think starting small and just building up a little bit more and more is really the way to go, slow and steady, and see what happens. But there's times also where, like, for example, I have a client whose mother is very um, hard on her son. And so she's had to, and she's witnessing how her mom's actually treating her son as she was treated as a child. Yes, She's realized how her mother kind of has a fear-based attitude about life and things. And it's actually her mother's own inner child that's terrified. Mm-hmm. So, so for example, her son has a particular interest and her mother's now freaking out like, oh no, if he likes that, he's not going to be good enough in school. And he's gonna, you know, he needs to do this and that. And, um, so she's had to set boundaries with her mom around that and say, you know, um, you can talk to me about that, but please don't vent your anxieties around him. It's not helpful. Mm-hmm. It's actually, creates a lot of anxiety in him. And so Mm. please respect my boundary on this and not speak negatively about him around him. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. That's actually harmful. So she had to set a firm boundary around that right away. And so she's in a process of how does she set boundaries with her mom in lots of other ways. But that's just one example. But it's been very empowering because as she's been doing that, her mom has actually adapted. She doesn't really get why she's being asked, you know, she doesn't think it's harmful because right. that's not on her value system, but um, they've adapted. And so this client of mine is getting really comfortable now with when she sees it, she points it out and they move on. But she's also getting a lot of confidence in the sense that she's realizing it's actually a form of protecting her own inner child and speaking up for her own inner child who didn't have a voice when she was young with her mother doing the same thing. So it has many layers. Mm-hmm. And I agree that boundary setting can be extremely empowering when you know your why, as you mentioned. Like when we know why we're doing this and what we're working towards in setting boundaries, it is sort of this idea of two ounces of pain up front versus two tons of regret or anxiety or whatever negative thing might come by not setting that boundary, right? When you were talking about the journaling, what you would like the relationship to look like, and this is a piece we touched on in the past episode a little bit. But I find that if we've been raised in a codependent environment where, you know, we look to our mom for reassurance and vice versa, and we're kind of all mixed up as one, you know, there are few boundaries. Then when we think about the type of parent we might want or the type of relationship we might want with our mom, it may not include healthy boundaries if we don't know what that looks like, right? And I think sometimes when I work with clients where they can get stuck is in having this ideal of what they want their relationship with their mom to look like and the reality not lining up with yeah. what they would hope or desire or expect. Yeah, that's a great piece of the puzzle. That's what I often call the impossible dream is like we have this dream that one day we're going to finally click with our moms and then we're going to have that great relationship or one day our mom is going to get it and she's going to kind of see us in a new way, in a deeper way, and we're going to be closer than ever. You know, these kind of things. And a lot of that impossible dream, and I call it impossible because it's often a survival mechanism of a child from the past when we were little girls mm. and we didn't have that connection we wanted back then. There was this dream of, oh, one day it's going to work. So I have to make myself be a certain way so that she can finally see me and we can be 
connected. So it's kind of a survival mechanism that can linger into adulthood and keep us on this hamster wheel of, I have to improve myself or change or explain it better, or, you know, just kind of exhausting ourselves to try to get this connection. When on the other side, our mothers may not just be willing or capable of meeting us in the way that we need to. So that's like kind of a deeper layer under the boundaries thing is really like, what are the things in that relationship that are causing us pain? If you want to even step even back further, like what's causing pain and, you know, strife and could be that hope, that never ending hope of like, I want this relationship, but it's not happening. And the impossible dream is about grieving that our mothers are separate women with their own journey and their own path and their own limitations. And we ourselves can't make a relationship or connection happen by ourselves. It really has to take two people. And I Mm -hmm. see that when we can mourn and grieve the limitations of our mother to meet us the way we want, that can open up enormous freedom and spaciousness in our lives because it's a lot of effort. We don't not even realize it, how much effort we're making to try to connect with her and have that ideal relationship that it might just literally be impossible And I think that it feels safer sometimes to stay stuck in a place of hoping that she will change versus, you know, coming to a place of acceptance, which we talk about in the previous episode where acceptance is so key because that is where our true work begins. And while up front, it feels like a lot it gets easier over time. And like you said, more expansive and more free and more liberating and empowering. But that first sort of confrontation with acceptance Mm. is probably the thing that we try to outrun so often, right? And it brings up another question that came in around this from the community was, like, how do we cope with the jealousy of seeing people in our lives who are not having to confront this and do this work, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. friends who have mothers who are coming and helping out postpartum and chipping in with the children and like really showing up in the way that we would like to be shown up for, or whether it's our partner that we're living with and they maybe can't understand the gravity of what this work feels like, you know? Yeah, Yeah, totally. I would say, you know, number one, the envy is normal. You know, Mm -hmm. it's normal to feel that and to long for that. It's normal to long for that, that relationship, that connection, that support. Number one, have compassion for yourself. That envy is coming up. And number two, I would say use it as fuel. Use that envy as fuel for a couple different things. One is let it help you grieve that that's not what I have. You know, that's not what I have. And to let go of your mother more. That contrast is is going to help you let go of that dream with your own mother. And number two, use it as fuel to fill that inner mothering that you need mm. to get fierce mm. around, you know, I didn't have that. I can't have it with my mother. That's now reality. And I'm learning to accept that. But how can I, what steps can I take to get myself that kind of support? Even in the absence of it with my mother, I deserve it. I want to try to make this happen. How can I be creative? to honor myself, to honor the little girl inside of me, and also the children that are going to benefit from me being more supportive, supported. How can I fill that mother gap for myself? Yeah. And it also makes me think about things like your Facebook community or the course offering that you have coming up where we can find others who are on the journey of doing this work and feel supported and connected in knowing that we aren't the only ones that are facing this. Like our partner may not be facing this or some of our immediate mom friends may not be facing it, but there is a whole group of women who are doing this work and to know that and to find that community can also feel reassuring and nurturing and bring a sense of like connectedness and knowing that we're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that. It's it's magical, literally magical when women who think they've been alone with this and, and maybe feel some shame or guilt around it. And then they enter my Facebook group or the course and they're like, oh my God, I'm not alone. This is not just me. And there's this kind of just weight lifted 
and um, a, a really tight sisterhood forms because, you know, it is a deep journey. And when other women are there, they, it's like, oh, I see you, I get you, you know, and you're not alone. And this is possible to move out of the pain and into a more empowered place around it. So it's, it's validating and it's also liberating. And it forms a new, I like to say it forms a new kind of mother line where mm. we start to actually get, derive our nourishment and support from other women that know the terrain, that know the journey. And that's a deep bond. We might it's not get it with our like, mothers and sisters, you know, but we can get it yeah. from other communities. It feels almost like surrogate, you know, mothering <laughs> in a way. It's like, I don't know, I've done all of these different interviews around attachment and attachment with our kids and how often as mom, we feel like we have to be the one and only primary attachment and caregiver, but how it's actually really healthy for our children to have multiple secure attachment figures in their life. Yeah, And totally. in this same sense of us doing this work, if our needs are not being met in a secure and safe way within our mothering relationship, how else do we nurture some of those pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, as many sources as possible. The more, the better. So I'm going to follow up with one more question from the community because lots yeah. of them have come in. And then I would love to hear more about your course and how we can get involved in this community. One of the questions that we can wrap up with is, how does the mother wound impact men? And this is something that's come up like, oh, I don't feel like I have a mother wound, but I see it in my partner or things like that. Is it similar? Is it different? Do you have men as a part of your like Facebook community and things like that? Yeah. So the mother wound definitely impacts men for sure. I mean, I would say the impact on men is just as intense, but it's different. The way it shows up is different. And you might say, well, why? It's different because again, going back to that backdrop of the mother wound, which is patriarchy, right? So men are socialized, boys and men are socialized differently than women, right? And so the way the wound hits them is, is a little different, but this intensity of the suffering that they experience is very much the same. So to back up, you know, for mothers and sons, you know, typically mothers are socialized to kind of let their sons fly, right? They're kind of in culture, in the culture as well. Boys separate quicker than daughters usually. Daughters are kind of expected to stay with their moms more. And this has been true for generations and generations. You know, he's supposed to kind of like forsake his mother and go into the world of the father, right? And so there's a lot of different ways it can show up, you know, with mothers and sons. And it's complicated. It's definitely mm -hmm. complicated. Like some mothers, the ways I've seen it show up is a mother uses her son unconsciously as a kind of surrogate spouse, right? Mm. So she projects all of her dreams on her son or she uses him for emotional caretaking of her. And this can happen in some cultures actually more than others as well, where it's almost expected like the son almost prioritizes his mother over his wife. So there's a kind of enmeshment that can happen there. There's also another manifestation for men where the son feels more abandoned by his mother and like might feel resentment that maybe the mm. father was a little harsh with him, really hard on him. And the mother just let it happen. Just let, you know, especially in case of like violence or spanking or physical stuff, the mother might've stood by and not helped while mm. the father was kind of trying to enculturate the son into patriarchy. And what that means is, you know, how to be tough, how to be a good boy, how to, you know, get out there and don't be weak. And like, for example, in my family, that's kind of what happened. You know, I was horrified at witnessing what was happening there and my mother didn't do anything. I tried to help, but it was like the son was almost like tried to be toughened up for life. Yeah. That's what the standard of masculinity is, right? Mm -hmm. So when you want to look at how does the mother wound form for men, you can think about masculinity, what that standard is and how he was enculturated into that and, and groomed. You know, if you think about it, the family is that place where the transfer of cultural values takes place. So how was masculinity enforced? So mm. for some men, the mother wound can manifest as feeling this real emptiness and sense of disconnection from their own feelings. Maybe they don't even know what they feel. And there's just right. like this feeling of lostness. For some men that can show up and like to cope with it, you know, there's porn and there's magazines and there's drugs and there's different like addictions that are maybe even subtle little addictions, like an internet addiction or something, but they feel disconnected. They feel adrift from themselves, 
you know, Mm. because that's not really fostered in our culture, many cultures that men have access to their feminine side, their sensitivity, their emotions, the depth of their humanity. In many ways, masculinity is defined by a severing of emotional, an emotional life, a rich emotional life. And so Mm. men are, have a real wound around this. Like, how do I feel connected to myself outside of these very antiquated models of masculinity that say that I need to be violent and I can only feel anger. My sexuality is how I experience emotions. Like it's pretty primitive stuff, what men have received. And Mm -hmm. it's highly enforced, you know, in the culture and in families. So as we move out of patriarchy as a culture, men are really, I think, asking themselves that question of, wow, what are the wounds that I received as a child that are fostering this disconnection that I continue to feel? Mm -hmm. Well, and it hits really close to home as a mom who's raising three sons, right? And I think about, I don't know, I've been seeing more content lately about raising like feminist sons and men that value women, but men that also value like the femininity, like within themselves in a way, like being in touch with their own emotions, being able to show up just authentically and not yeah. uh, not fear being perceived as weak and and how even from a subtle young age when interacting with family or others, like if a little girl kind of stumbles and, and skins her knee versus the boys, it's like, oh, you know, stop crying, suck it up, you know, get back yeah. on the bike kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, versus allowing them have this whole range of emotions. So there's so many pieces that play into this in my mind. There is this like patriarchy piece. There is codependence, which was an episode we did that mm. aired a couple weeks ago. There's so many pieces that play into this where I feel like if we come at it from like even starting at one of these angles, the boundary setting angle kind of nips mm-hmm. some of the codependence and reshapes the relationship with mom or coming at it from a tolerating and accepting feelings perspective and and allowing room for any feelings are valid and how do we process them and unpack them. There's a few different ways it sounds like we can come at some of these things that are all interwoven into the types of subjects we're talking about today. Absolutely. There's many different avenues of analysis that we can like, it's like a diamond. We can just adjust it a little bit and see it from a new angle, but it's all, like you said, interwoven and deeply interconnected. And any angle we take will take us into the heart of it, right? Um, Right. Which I think is about, on many levels, learning how to love ourselves in the way that our society or family could not. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we accept the unacceptable or love the unlovable as defined by the culture? Right. How do I, as a woman, start to love and appreciate the parts of me that I was always told were too much? Or as, Mm -hmm. you know, as men in this culture or even, you know, like non-binary or or different sort of gender representations show up and learn that it's not weak to emote or to feel, you know, there's all of these different, yeah, different things for us to learn to love about ourselves. And I think that this is easiest done in my experience in community and with others who are doing this work. So can you help me understand a little bit about your course and how you help to walk people through this and and what your course is all about? Yeah. So I teach a course called Discovering the Inner Mother. It's an eight-week course. It's online. And the way it's structured is to help you walk through the process, to get the milestones that you need to go through, both cognitively, but also emotionally, to kind of make your way through it. Some people take the course and just move right through it. Some people take a lot longer and everybody's pace is a little different. But what you get is really the whole roadmap of how do you heal the mother wound? And then that's really was my goal in designing it is I wanna give you the whole enchilada. And so the course is designed, it has seven steps. And these are the seven steps of healing the mother wound that I developed years ago. And each step has a module and I can go through them if you want with the seven steps I'd love are. to know what the, yeah, yeah. Like what the seven steps yeah. are. I'd love that. Absolutely. So I'll just give you the rundown of what they are. The first one is understanding your mother as your foundation. 
So in that module, I talk about, you know, what are your mother's beliefs, values, patterns? So you start to get some cognitive awareness around, oh, this is what I inherited. This is what I was growing up with. This has formed the foundation of what I'm dealing with today. Mm-hmm. The second module is looking at the stereotypes and myths around mothering that have impacted kind of that taboo of like, I shouldn't look at this, you know, or instilled shame in you, you know, stereotypes Mm -hmm. like mothers and daughters should be best friends or the myth of the perfect family, all those idealized messages that cause shame. So we kind of look through that to make sure that, you know, kind of clearing it off the path. So it doesn't hold you back anymore. Mm -hmm. The third step is looking at the mother gap. The mother gap is the gap between what you received from your mother and what you actually needed. So this gap can cause a lot of problems in our lives because it often gets projected onto our spouses, children, or bosses or whatever. You know, it's mm. it's that longing for mother, that longing for mother's love that we're still looking for. We look at how did that show up for you, but also how are you compensating for that? What masks or stories have you had to tell yourself in order to cope with that mother gap? Mm-hmm. And then step four is looking at the impossible dream, which I mentioned earlier, which is, you know, is there a dream operating that one day, if I just do X, Y, Z, mom will one day, you know, we'll have the connection I long for with her. Right. Either I'll be good enough or she will yeah. change or something. Yeah. Yeah. That one can show up in so many different subtle ways. So that's module four. And then step five is allowing yourself to grieve, making space for the grieving process, because as we make space for those feelings like rage, anger, sadness, disappointment, that is really making space for the new. So grief Mm -hmm. is really that letting go of the old and making that space. So we talk about ways to do that, ways to support yourself. Module six is transforming the inner mother. So this is where we get really the nuts and bolts of how do you mother that little girl inside of you? What are some ways you can start showing up for yourself to fill that mother gap and create that inner safety? It's really about inner safety. So that little girl inside of you feels held and loved and seen, and she's no longer creating obstacles in your life. Like we discussed earlier, you know, creating problems and projections that kind of just keep replicating that old story of your past. So there's a lot in that. That's probably one of the biggest modules in this because there's a lot of like tools. Like how do you set up a morning ritual? How do you dialogue with your inner child? There's also things in there like how do you set boundaries with your mother? So there's a lot of tools in there as well. And then the final step is step seven, which is emergence, life beyond the mother wound. So there we talk a little bit about what does life look like as you continue to walk this path, what to expect, important mindsets that you want to be aware of, and what to expect as you continue to work the practice. And it's really inner mothering is a practice. It's not like a goal or a destination. It's more like a practice that you live in live into with with more and more layers over time. And as you do that, you shed the false, you know, masks and beliefs, the residues of trauma based on those early dynamics. And you start to live more into the simplicity and beauty of your true self. And so that Mm. creates shifts in your life and in your relationships. So it's good to kind of see what's coming as you do that. So that's the final module. And then there's a review piece. But each module has a set of content in the form of a video or a PDF, but you also have exercises to complete, like journaling and written exercises to help you kind of process what you're learning. And then in addition to that, you know, that's the core material. But in addition to that, there's community. Community is a huge part of this. We have a private Facebook group that's very active. When you join, you will be welcomed and, you know, invited to share and people are very responsive and engaged. So it's a very tight community and it's not super large. It's like a nice size. So you get the intimacy and I'm extremely active in there. One of my values is is really showing up for the people that do this work. So I'm very active responding to comments. And so I celebrate with you and I coach you as you go through the process. So I encourage people to make use of that group, but not only the Facebook group, we also have live Q and a calls twice per month. So we all Mm -hmm. get on the phone and it's okay. There's no limit to how many that you can experience. I do it every two weeks. So people that have been with me for a long time, you know, you might come for a while, you might not, you might listen to the recording. It's very open and um, informal, but you get to, you know, I get to coach with you like in real time and you get to ask mm-hmm. me questions, um, share your insights. It's a very rich call where you can learn so much just from hearing the voices of other women and women are cheering themselves, you know, cheering each other on and, and celebrating with each other. So it's a really positive community and there's a lot of growth and you can learn, you can grow so much just from just witnessing other women do the work with you alongside you. 
So as you can see, it's a combo of like curriculum, but community. Mm-hmm. Well, that's some of the feedback that I've gotten in some of the programs that I've run, whether it be workshops or my mentorship community is the knowledge is wonderful and having the skills is wonderful, but to do it in community feels healing, feels empowering, makes us feel connected to something outside of ourselves, you know? So I think that that is such an important feature. And the fact that you are doing these Q&As, are those like on Zoom where they see each other's faces and everybody kind of gets to chat? Or are they more like a teaching style Q&A where it's just your face? It's actually audio. So we all go on and it's just audio. And um, because I listen better, I feel, you know, without video, because I can just literally close my eyes and you know, go deeper. So that's, yeah. So that's kind of just kind of how I work. So that's all audio and it's the same format. Every time, you know, I introduce myself, we do like a quick announcements and then it's just open forum. So whatever, you know, people raise their hand and we just get as many questions in as we can in an hour. There's something about audio. There's something about that. And the, um, anonymity of, doing this work, I think that that would probably lend itself to more dialogue and more conversation just because this is deep heart stuff, right? And so it allows you a sense of safety to be able to share without maybe feeling like overexposed at the same time. So that's yeah, I think very, it's really intimate. Very cool. And there's no limit, by the I just wanted to add one final point about that. It's lifetime access to the curriculum and to the community. So there's no expiration. There's no pressure to go through this in a certain time. You don't lose access or anything. So it's really designed to work for your life. You know, however your life is, that it works with you. You know, you can use it as much or as little as you want, sometimes more intensively. Sometimes you'll take a break, but you can stay with it. And that's really the goal. Okay. And one thing I will do is I will link all of your resources in the show notes. And I'm also going to set up a redirect at happyasamother.co slash motherwound. And it can redirect right to your course page so they can learn more about the modules and your offerings there. And before we go, where can people find you? I believe you also have some free like master classes coming up and things like that as well. I do. I have something really exciting coming up that I'm you know, really delighted to share today because we're just about ready to announce it. I'm doing a free online training. It's a two week long training, totally free. And it's comes with a workbook and a special community too. So it's called Self-Initiation, Dismantling the Patriarchy Within and Claiming Your Essential Self. So together, Mm. we're going to be looking at what is the patriarchal conditioning that we've received as women and how can we start to step into our power, really initiate that change in our mother line. And so there's like five teaching sessions that are all recorded. And I do this every year around Mother's Day because Mother's Day is a really powerful time, right? To think about intergenerational healing. So that's going to be starting next week. We're going to open the doors for that. But you can go to my website. It's bethanywebster.com. And there's a lot of other free materials there, like blog articles and other podcast interviews. But you definitely want to check out this free online training because at the end, we're going to be offering the online course at a special lower rate, which I do around Mother's Day every year. So if you want to go deeper with me in this work, if this is really resonating with you, you want this extra support, you're ready to dive in, this is a really great time to do that. And that's going to be available at that lower rate from May 2nd to May 13th. Okay. Um, Yeah. And this will air about the week before that. So we'll link all of that stuff in the show notes for everybody. And I'll set up a special redirect to your site as well so that people can find you. I can't even tell you how many people sent messages about our first episode that they went out to buy your newly released book. I had bought it. I was going through the audiobook. It's just there's something so freeing about having somebody put words to your experience to know that others are going through it and then to know that there is a way forward and I like how you say like there's not necessarily a destination like with a lot of this sort of self-development and, you know, inner healing work. It's not necessarily about a destination, but having the the tools for the journey makes such a difference. So thank you for taking the time to come and answer our questions today. I'm going to link all this stuff in the show notes for those who are really trying to do this work and don't really know how. 
they can find a guide in you for this work. So thank you. Thank you so much, Erica. And to all of you who are listening today live into the replay, it's been really awesome to connect with you all and the deep work that you're doing as moms. I have so much respect and reverence for you moms, like doing this work in a different way. And I, I love your, um, your tagline, you know, do motherhood differently. I mean, that's mm-hmm. such a beautiful way of capturing everything we're talking about today, how to change disrupt those patterns and break those cycles to create new possibilities for the next generation. And I think you're doing such a brilliant job at that, Erica. So it's a real honor for me to be here today. And and thanks for having me. Thank you. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.